0: right, good morning. You know how creative God is. I mean, just look around. Isn't it amazing how all of us can look different? And all of us think we look the best? Isn't it just amazing, (laughs) right? Um, But God is such a creative God, and when we use those creative talents that God gives us for his glory, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And when we use them for his glory, we do it not only in church, we do it in our vocation and our family. And, uh, and I believe God just wants to unleash some amazing things uh, in society through his people. And I, I think there's just inventions that are coming, patents that are coming, and uh, just amazing things that God wants to do. So I just, uh, just really encourage you to just tap into that creative dimension that God uh, has put into you for his glory. Amen? Well, good to see you. We're in a series uh, called Kingdom Discipleship, and uh, every sermon that I preach in it, I fall more in love with discipleship. And I want to give you a little history here because I think it's important. Uh, one of the things that happens in this concept of discipleship is that we learn how to really follow Jesus. And it really occurred to me uh, over the course of the last several weeks how soft we as believers have become as Christians and how how much more consumer oriented we have become. And we've really lost some of the spirit of the New Testament that is uh, is pretty radical when you really get down to it. It's pretty radical. Um, I doubt that you will experience true persecution in America. I think you'll find some discomfort. But as I've been watching and reading and kind of refreshing my memory about what God's doing around the world and and how Christians are suffering uh, for the cause of Christ, I realize how how easy we really have it. I wonder what would happen if you, each one of you, would just push your Christianity another 5%. Not 100, just 5 more percent. What if you began to talk a little bit more what if you begin to pray a little bit more? What if you begin to study a little bit more? I wonder what the effect would be on our society, and our world, and our community. And I wanna just put that challenge out there for you. One of the things we've said through this whole series is three things that are really, really important for every believer, and the, and the first one is to read, to read the word of God every day. You need to be in the word of God every single day, even if it's only for a few minutes, but you need to be reading the word of God because that's how God speaks to you. That's how you know his heart, his mind, and how he can direct your path. The other thing you need to do is be praying every day, and that means coming to God not just with what you need or your crisis, but that means coming, first of all, just acknowledging that he's God, giving him glory, and rejoicing in who he is. Uh, as God. And then moving into praying for one another, praying for yourself, asking for wisdom and guidance by the Spirit of God. And then the third thing is to give. You know, giving recalibrates our world. It, It reminds us that we're not in control of our world and that we are to be thankful for everything that God has given us here on earth. And so, As we think about discipleship, today we're in lesson 10, and we've been using uh, this workbook that I just recently released on uh, kingdom discipleship as a guide, Um, and we're going to be doing a training coming up in the month of November. You're going to hear more about that, but I really got the idea that instead of just kind of a classroom training experience, that it should be really an experience, and so we're going to reenact the underground church experience. And it's going to be a little bit hardcore. A lot of you are going to, to ask you to, to come on time. If you're not on time, we're going to have a security team to check your ID and ask for your testimony. Because that's what happens in the underground church. We're going to ask you to check your mobile devices in so that you're not distracted. We're going to ask you to bring a Bible, yes, one of those real ones with leather on it. I know you say, well, my Bible's on my phone. Well, you get a new one then. Go find a paperback. Go find a leather one. And then we're gonna spend uh, a lot of time just digging into the Word of God and preparing you. You know, it occurred to me as I studied that so many of these underground churches, when they would have someone come in to speak, because they had very few Bibles, they would ask them to speak sometimes four and five hours at a time, multiple days in a row, to try to get as much as they can while they could for the Word of God. What would happen if our world would change like that. Do you have enough knowledge of the word of God that you could survive without your Bible? And we take things for granted in life, don't we? We just assume certain things. I was reminded of a, of a time in, uh, in 1990, in March of 1990, when uh, my wife and I took a team to Romania. And if you remember that, we have many Romanians in our church. Most of them are in the second service, I believe. But, but it was 1989 in December when communism officially came to an end in Romania at a little town called Timisoara, and that's where Ceausescu was was basically in a trial, uh, was executed, and put an end to that tyrannical rule of that leader. And we were going knowing that still the communism was still alive. There was still a lot of oppression. The churches were still in a difficult situation and still in need of Bibles. And so we determined in our group, and we took about 75, believe it or not, which sounds crazy right now that how that ever happened. But um, but we decided we would smoke, smuggle Bibles in. And so we had our, our suitcase. We had the lining out. We had put Bibles in there, and we went to the airport in the United States with a little bit of intrepidation because will we make it? Will they find them? Because we know that their, their order is basically to not let us take those into Romania. And so we stood up at the counter there, and uh, the guy began to question us, you're going to Romania, why are you going, and began to give us the third degree, and uh, he said, uh, is there anything in your suitcase that is contraband that's not allowed in Romania? And you know, when you find yourself in that situation of, do I lie for a good cause? Because it really is. It's one of those things where, and, I, and I'm it, you're in a moral dilemma because you don't want to lie, but at the same time, you don't want to tell the truth. And I was standing there kind of stammering, kind of wondering what how I'm gonna answer this guy, and how do I kind of divert his question to like, hey, how's your day? (laughs) And all of a sudden the supervisors kind of saw this little drama unfolding and walked up and he said, I'll take care of this. And I thought, oh, it's getting worse now. And he looked at me and he said, There are Bibles in your suitcase, aren't there? Well now it's a yes or no lie. I said, Yes, sir, there are. He said, Okay, I'm a Christian. I'm going to seal your suitcase all the way to Romania. You don't have to worry about a thing. And, and, I, and I, think, I think until you get your life a little bit out on the edge for God, you don't see God come through. If you live so comfortably and so easily in your Christian faith that you don't have to see God work, guess what, he doesn't work. And so we want to, in discipleship, we want to begin to talk today about the end of the world. This is uh, a, the, the last lesson called The Judgment Seat of Christ. And we're gonna walk you through what that means and what that looks like in Scripture. Uh, before we do, I, I wanna just read to you an, an inscription that's on a cathedral in uh, Lebeck, Germany. And it goes like this. You call me master and obey me not. You call me way and walk me not. You call me life, desire me not. You call me wise, and you follow me not. You call me fair, and you love me not. You call me rich, and yet you ask me not. You call me eternal, and seek me not. You call me gracious, and trust me not. You call me noble, and serve me not. You call me mighty, and honor me not. You call me just, and fear me not. If I condemn you. Blame me not. It's a bit sobering, isn't it? I really believe that as believers, we need to be sobered up in the spiritual sense of the word. You know, I remember when I first came to faith in Christ, I was a college student, and I began to read the New Testament, and I was just overwhelmed with this presence of Jesus in the the pages of of the Bible overwhelmed with this man who could command the attention of people he did not know with simple words like, follow me, and I'll make you to be fishers of men. And I remember when I heard what I would say is the voice of God, that that inner voice in my heart that just said, there is a God, and I love you. And how commanding that felt in that moment. And how when I first came to faith in Christ, I determined that I would do anything to follow this Jesus. Anything to follow Jesus. That I would risk embarrassment. I would risk alienation. I would risk all of those things because Jesus was worthy of my devotion. Do you remember those days? And maybe those days still exist for you. Maybe you're still living you know, in, that, in, that, in the shadow of that, but, but maybe you've waned a little bit in your devotion and maybe you've compromised a little bit in that commitment that you have to Jesus and maybe today you'd like to renew that. Maybe we need to just light up the fire a little bit under our, under our hearts and just f- strike a new spark for God. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring in a new baptism of his presence in our life. Ask the Holy Spirit to electrify our mind and electrify our soul. And so that when we go out, when we go out, we go out in the name of Jesus. We go out powerfully and mightily, not compromising, but really powerfully releasing that which was in us with the words of power and authority that come. It always amazed me that when they heard Jesus speak, even the religious people said, We've never heard anyone speak with this kind of authority. And that was the one mark that kind of set him apart from the other teachers. There were other learned people. There were others knowledgeable in the Torah of that day. But for someone to speak with authority was so different and so radical. And the authority he had had came from his devotion and his love for the Father. The time spent in prayer and time spent in seeking after God. And I I really believe that same authority is, is given to you. Because Jesus said, all power and authority is given unto me. And he says, now you go, you go and you make disciples of all nations in that authority and in that power. So it's here for us. As we talk about end times, and we we really need about six hours to do this message, and I promise you I won't. I know some of you come to this, this service because there's an ending time. And the other one, it really just, you know, it's kind of like link sausage. You know, it just keeps going on and on and on. So I appreciate that. It, it helps me to really become succinct with you and, and try to teach. Uh, but we've got plenty of time, and so we're in good shape. But let me show you a chart. I want to walk you through some end time things. And, and a lot of you are, are going to be taking pictures of this and trying to capture it, I know. But can I just tell you, if you go and download the app for Influence Church... Not only are all my notes on there, but starting this week, I'm going to start doing something extra that I'm not even going to have in the message. And in this week, if you go there, you just go to the, to the app, then, you've, then you just swipe it to the right, and then you go sermon notes, and all my notes are going to be on there. But what I've included in there is an end time chronology, about 25 items that are going to show you with scripture references what the end times are all about. And the reason that we put it there and don't give it to you here is because we're just really kind of uh, sneaky trying to get you to download our app. Is that just honest enough? All right. But uh, we really think it'll be a benefit to you, and that's why it's there. So let's look at this chart. That chart doesn't look anything like the chart I want. (laughs) That looks more like the chart I want. Okay, let's take a look at this. All right, so what what I'm gonna do is walk you through this, and we might bring this up a time or two later if we need to, to kind of illustrate. But let's look over here on the far left, and it says church age. Now, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, what you notice is in chapters two and three, it talks about seven different churches. And it gives you these characteristics of these churches uh, that were existing in that day, but they're also representative churches in the ages that we live in. So it's kind of enlightening when you begin to see them and when you study in that light. But then all of a sudden in chapter four and verse one, it's really interesting what happens in the book of Revelation. Because it says a window or a door is opened in heaven. And it's John the Apostle who wrote the book of Revelation and he is moved from earth to heaven through this portal in heaven and he writes the book of Revelation from heaven to earth. There's only two times that that door is opened in the book of Revelation. One is chapter 4, verse 1, and the other is in Revelation chapter 19, and verse 11, and that's the return of Christ. So when the door is open, John is elevated, and he's looking now, and he's watching all that's happening. And so you see this chaos that's happening on the earth, and if you've ever read it, you go, I don't know what's going on here, but it doesn't look good, right? I mean, that's kind of what most people's experience in Revelation is. Especially when you start hitting chapter six. But what we wanna show here is that in this church age, it comes to an end with the rapture, and I'm gonna explain that a little bit, so just hang with me, the rapture of the church. That is the removal of the church from earth to heaven. John the Apostle was a picture or a type of the raptured saint, so he's on earth, He's alive, he goes alive from earth to heaven, and then he sees everything from his vantage point that is heaven. Now, once that happens, the, the tribulation begins to happen on planet earth, and that's beginning in Revelation chapter 6. And if you know your Bible pretty well, um, then you know that Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 24, and these are some kind of key chapters. In Matthew 24, he said there's coming on the earth a tribulation unlike the earth has ever seen, and it will intensify into something he refers to as the great tribulation about halfway through. So the tribulation on earth, remember, believers are taken off the earth. Now the earth is running with some an individual known as the Antichrist, and he is directing the course of what's happening on planet earth. When it gets about halfway through, he instigates a program whereby no one can buy or sell anything on earth without the mark, the mark of the beast. And that mark, scripture says, is 666. Now, it doesn't have to be the number 666 on their hand or forehead to be the mark of the beast. It's only that mark means the symbol of man to the extreme. Six is the number of man to the extreme, three times over to the extreme. Now, what happens at the end of the tribulation, and you can see up here the appearing, Revelation chapter 19, that's the return of Christ. That's the second time the window in heaven opens. First time, saints are taken up. Second time, we're coming back with Christ, and he's going to bring an end to the tribulation. That's where it says, had he not returned, that mankind would have just wiped out each other completely. Uh, because so much inhumanity and so much lack of God going on. Now, last week, we talked about what was happening during this tribulation period, and there were three witnesses. Remember this? The first witness was the 144,000, and they're preaching the gospel. They're Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from every tribe. They're preaching the gospel. And then we heard about the, the angel that flies around the world with the everlasting gospel, and then the two witnesses... Um, that were preaching the gospel during that time. So there's a lot of a kingdom talk going on during the tribulation. Many, many people are coming to faith in Christ during the tribulation period. They're coming into the kingdom. We know that because in, in Revelation 6, it tells us that the martyrs that were martyred during the tribulation cry out to God and say, God, how long, how long until you will, you know, will rectify this problem? How long will you, until you will justify our, our life? And then you go a little bit further to chapter 20, and it talks about the martyrs who were before the throne of God, and it says that they are given a white robe in that moment, and they are honored as martyrs for the kingdom of God. Once you finish, and this is going to be the kind of the scope of where we're going to be today, but once that happens, God institutes a millennial reign of a thousand years on earth, and then we move into new heaven and new earth. You'll notice that chapter 20 through 22, you've got a whole lot of chronology there, biblical chronology that, but only in just three chapters. So, you know, when you start, or two chapters, when you start reading, you go like, I need more here, I need more. And, uh, but we have to go other places in scripture to find that. So let's talk, first of all, about the divine separation. Did you know that God likes to separate things? Seems weird, doesn't it? You'd think he'd wanna bring everything together. But what he does is he likes to separate light from darkness, doesn't he? When he created, he said, let there be light so you can distinguish it from darkness. And so there's that principle. When he talks about you as a believer, he wants you to be different from everybody else in the world. He wants to separate, not in a mean sense of the word, not that you don't have friends that aren't believers, but he wants you to be so different that your unbelieving friends see that difference and they're drawn into relationship with you. So there needs to be something. He likes to take out of us, he likes to separate out of us that which does not benefit the kingdom or us so that we walk faithfully before God. And that's why this is a word called sanctification. What that means is God is setting us apart so we can be holy to God. Otherwise, we're compromised, we're no different than the world, we just have to have a a ticket to heaven. But God wants us to have more than a ticket to heaven, he wants us to have a relationship that's so rich, so abiding, so wonderful, that we literally are walking about as new creations in Christ Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, and there's something so attractive to us that people say, What's different about you? And you can begin to tell them about your relationship with God and it'll draw them in. So you are to be the voice in that person's heart. Let me take you to the scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and this is the one that refers to the rapture. And I'll walk you through this and we'll spend a little bit of time so we can get a hand, our hands around it. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of Christ, or trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall be with the Lord always. Now, let's just take a look at the scripture. If you see the word caught up there, the word rapture does not appear in the Bible. The concept is there, but the word rapture is literally a Latin word. And it's translated if, uh, over here, you see the word rapture? That is the Latin word caught up. It means to take away, to literally drag out of a situation and put it in a no- different location. So what it's saying here is, then we who are alive and remain, that's when he comes, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, that is those who died and, and went to be with the Lord, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be. Now the distinction is, that in the, when the Lord comes, he doesn't come to earth in the rapture. In the second coming, he comes to earth. And that's one of the distinctions between rapture and second coming. So let's go back to the chart for just a moment, if we can. And on this chart, you're going to notice that we're coming into the, the church age. You see the rapture there, 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And now we await, we wait until the return with Christ until his return in Revelation chapter 19. So let's talk a little bit about this divine separation. The separation, we're told in scripture, will be sudden. It will be sudden. Matthew 24, verse 36, but of that day and of that hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So when it talks about the day of the Lord, it's saying it's going to be so sudden that that no one on earth is gonna know. If you find someone who says, I know when the Lord's returning, run. Because Jesus said, not even the Son of Man knows the day of the return. So in Jesus, when he walked on planet Earth, he limited himself and, without knowing the exact day. Now we can know times and seasons. We can kind of look at what's happening in our Bible, look what's happening in our world, and we can begin to line up some things. For example, we can say, hey, we know that we're closer because Israel became a nation in 1948, and that was one of the prophecies about the end days. So we know that. Um, but we don't know the hour of the day, and you see how, how sudden it will be. So it's, there's not time, oh, the Lord's here, I need to go get my life right with God. Too late for that. Too late. The illustration of the virgins without the oil uh, to light the lamps is, is one of those ones where he illustrates the suddenness. All of a sudden, the bridegroom comes, and they don't have any oil. They don't have any light in their life. And they go around, they start knocking on doors. Can I borrow some oil? Can I borrow some oil? And they go to the ones that have the oil. They said, no, all I have is what I have. And so they're left without because they're not prepared. So the question that is begging to be answered here is, are you prepared for the return of the Lord if he came today? And that's the, that's the immediacy of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's how God works to try to keep us ready and not complacent in our life. Let's go a little bit further. The separation will be mysterious, Matthew 24, 40 and 42. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Now, can you imagine that scenario? Two in the field, one's gone, one remains. It goes on to say, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, the other will be left. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that your Lord is coming. So this mysterious uh, removal from planet Earth will be pretty amazing, won't it? Now, we've already quoted stats. We say there are about 31% of planet Earth that says they're Christians, but remember, Saying you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian, does it? You see, because becoming a Christian means that I've come to a place where I've really believed that Jesus died for my sins, was buried, rose from the dead, and, and gave me the opportunity to have eternal life. And I received him knowing that I could not save myself. I received him and I believed on him and my life was transformed because of him. And that's the criteria. That's the that's the pass, if you will, to get into heaven. So we see this separation will be mysterious. Also, it will be transformational. Transformational. I love this scripture because uh, people always ask me, like, what are we going to look like in the resurrection? And usually it's ladies that ask me. I'll just be honest with you because they're concerned, like, am I going to be this age in heaven? Am I stuck in this age, right? Um, well, just... Don't worry about that. It's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna work out. You're gonna get a new spiritual body, amen? All right? What it's gonna look like, better than the one you got. How's that? Is that good enough? Well, how old will it be? Well, you don't age in heaven, so age is not an issue. You see, your inner, your inner uh, man, your inner spirit man never ages. This is good news, ladies. Right? So it never ages. So your spiritual man never ages. It's your, it's your outer man, your physical man, ages. Because it's made for time and space. Your eternal, your spirit man is made for eternity. And remember, in eternity, everything is always present tense. It's always now. Now, if that doesn't hurt your mind, I don't know what will. All right, so let's look further. The separation will be transformational. Beloved, 1 John 3, uh, we, now we are children of God. So right now he's saying, okay, present tense, we're all children of God who've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, not yet been revealed what we shall be. So you can search the scriptures, but it doesn't give you enough detail to say, I know what it's going to be like. But we know that when he is revealed, who's that? That's Jesus. We shall be like him. This is good news. We're gonna be like him, in what way? In every way, but we're still gonna retain our own identity. You're gonna know one another in heaven, in other words. For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. So two things that are really important here in this separation, okay? That I'm gonna be separated from my former life, but I'm gonna be transformed into the likeness of Christ, And just having that knowledge, just anticipating his return, you see what it did? It purifies us. Do you know what it does? When you think about the return of Christ, it makes you want to live a better life. You say, wow, if the Lord could come back today, I better get my act together. Amen? I mean, that's kind of the message, isn't it? Because you purify yourself with this hope. I live in this confident assurance that Christ is going to return and when I live in the immediacy of his return, I ask myself, am I living for Jesus or living for me? Am I honoring God or honoring me? Am I letting the world shape me or am I shaping the world that I live in? Am I really called uh, called out and, and out of darkness and am I living in the light of God's glory? And this is always the message of the New Testament. This is a message of God that he gives us in his word. The separation will be transformational. I want to take you um, to a a section in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I just felt like the easiest way for me to do this was to photocopy my Bible and, and give it to you here. Hopefully you're going to be able to see this. But this is so powerful because a lot of people say, well, I think, I think we're going through the tribulation. And I always tell people, if you want to go through, go. I ain't going. I'm getting out of here. I'm I'm getting raptured. But that's my theology, okay? But I want to show you something from 1 Thessalonians, okay? Now, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, and he says this, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. Now, what I want you to notice, and I've highlighted the personal pronouns, you, they, okay, got it? You can see them highlighted there, because they unlock the passage. When you read your Bible, don't get in a hurry. Stop and let it sink in a little bit, okay? So he says, you're going to know the times and seasons. We're living where we know the times and the seasons we're living in. How do we know that? Well, because we know certain things have happened in the word of God. Christ has risen from the dead. He's given the Holy Spirit. We know that time and season. We also know the time and season, for example, of of uh, Israel becoming a nation, and that changes a lot of things. That fulfills a scripture in Isaiah 66. Can a nation be born in a day? And God birthed Israel in a day. All right, so now watch this. Verse two, for you yourselves know. So the you, he's writing to, are the Christians that are in the church at Thessalonica. Got it? Just say got it. All right. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So we've told you that he's coming back suddenly, right? You know that, how? From scripture. So he says, you know that, for when they, those are non-Christians, those are people outside the fellowship, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, if you take scripture and you just kind of flip it So that you kind of get the essence of it. It says, when they say, in other words, they're saying everything's fine, don't worry about what's happening in our world, don't worry about the end of the world or anything else. It says, then then sudden destruction comes upon them. If I flip it the other way, that means sudden destruction doesn't come upon me as a child of God. You see how that works? All right? Uh, As labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But I will escape because I'm not they, I'm over here with you as a believer. Does this make sense? Okay, so let's keep going. But you, brethren, okay, notice he identifies there as Christians, are not in the darkness. So he's talking about spiritual darkness here. He says those who are outside of the kingdom of God, you're not in darkness. It says here, so this day, which day? The day of the Lord referred to in verse 2, this day should not overtake you as a thief. It's not going to overtake you. Not gonna, nothing's gonna surprise you here because you've already been instructed. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. You see the separation? So we're in the light. We're not in the darkness. Verse six, therefore let us not sleep. Now this is not talking about how many hours you get in a night. This is talking about being spiritually Sleepy. You're not aware of what's happening spiritually. No, you're gonna be aware of what's happening spiritually. You wanna know the word of God. You wanna dig into it, okay? Uh, Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So the idea is I'm always watching. I've always got my wits about me about what's happening in my world. I'm processing everything through the word of God, through the spirit of God in my life. Verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Again, he's not talking about alcohol here. He's not talking about physical darkness. He's talking about spiritual. You can get drunk with the, with the mood and the temperament of the world, intoxicated with this worldly thinking to where you cannot distinguish between what God is up to and what, what the world is up to. You're just out of touch with it. You can't even touch it. You don't know what's going on. People say, I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, how many times have you had Christians say that? I've had Christians say all the time, like, well, I prayed about and everything's okay, but you're violating everything in the word of God. Your prayers are not working. That's not what prayer's for anyway. Prayer is not to distinguish truth. That's what the word of God's for, okay? Let's go here. Uh, Verse eight, but let us who are of the day, what day? Light, spiritual light, right? Saved. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that this is a little bit of a, kind of sounds a little bit like Ephesians chapter six, where it talks about spiritual armor, but here he kind of changes a little bit, doesn't he? He says, but uh, put on a breastplate of faith. So what's gonna go before me? You see, your, your breast is the first thing out, right? It's in front of you. And so the idea is faith will always lead me. Faith is always going to lead me, And love, I'm going to let faith and love lead the way. If anything else but faith and love is leading the way, you got to go back, you got to rethink how you're living your life. Now, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So what's going to protect my mind? Hey, salvation. I'm a saved person, not a lost person. I'm not going to think like a lost person. I'm going to save like a saved person. Think like a saved person. Amen? You see how that works? Is this helpful? Yeah? All right, good. If not, you know, I'm still gonna do it in the second service. Okay, verse nine, let's look at this. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Do you know what the tribulation is called? It's called the wrath of God. It's it's God's judgment against lost society. Their rebellion against him is called the wrath of God. It says God did not appoint you to wrath. Who? Us, there's another personal pronoun but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now do you see how when you take the word of God, and, and a, 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 granted, I've, I've been studying this a lot and, and I'm able to kind of teach you this, but when you take the word of God and you really begin to dive into a little bit, it really is self-explanatory, isn't it? You know who the greatest interpreter of the word of God is? Holy Spirit. So when you read, you say, Holy Spirit, would you just speak to me? Will you open these things up and give me some insight into this? And, you, and, and over time, you'll begin to see how the Spirit of God is teaching you things as you're diligently studying the Word of God and praying. All right, let's go to this next uh, section. The books are open. Now, the judgment seat of Christ sounds scary, right? Because whenever you hear the word judgment, you think, that ain't good. Are you with me on this one? You're going to be judged. Bad. Okay, so the word judgment seat is, is a Greek word, is the Greek word bima. Now, the only reason that's important is so that you know the meaning of it. The bima seat was a raised platform where people received rewards for their service. For example, an Olympic runner would receive a, you know, a, a prize, a, 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 maybe a crown or maybe a ribbon because they had competed and they had won. But also at the Bema Seat, some were not invited up on the stage. They still participated. They were still a part of the crowd, but they had done nothing to deserve a reward. So as Christians, the Bible teaches us that all of us will appear on the Bema Seat or the judgment seat of Christ, but not all will receive a reward because you see the rewards in life come from what you've done in life not because you just love Jesus. No, you actually served him and you carried it out. And there are five distinctive crowns that are part of what the rewards are. And we're gonna go through each one of those today and we're gonna explain them to you. But first, let me take you through the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse 10. For we all must appear, and the all is all Christians, before the judgment seat of Christ. So, if you think about it, there's, there's three judgments in Bible. The first one is the judgment of sin, and that happened at Calvary. That's the first judgment. God judged the sin of, the, of, the, of all of mankind at the cross, for the whole world at the cross. When I believe on Jesus, that becomes cleansing for me. The second uh, judgment we see is the judgment seat of Christ, And the third one is called the Great White Throne Judgment. And this is Revelation chapter 20, okay? Now, the distinction is that only those who know God are at the judgment seat of Christ. All those who do not know God are at the Great White Throne Judgment. So, believers are never here. They're only here. So, we're going to read about this right here. Uh, from the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body. The body refers to the body of Christ. What have you done in the body of Christ that would deserve a reward? That's the question that's gonna be answered. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, the word bad there is not the word evil. It's the word worthless. So what happens is there's things I can do as a Christian, but they don't give me a reward. They're just kind of worthless. They're like wood, hay, and stubble. They burn up. And there are other things that are going to they're gonna, they're gonna stand the test of fire, so to speak, gold, silver, precious stone kind of things. Those are going to be my rewards. Now, you might say, well, I don't really care about all of that. I just want to get to heaven. Well, but you see, Jesus always told us that we should lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven. Why? Because you need that. It's the currency of the realm. There's some reason that you need that in heaven. It's not like, well, I don't really care. No, you do care, and you need to care, and guess what? I don't care how old you are, and if you've only got one week of life left today, you can build up rewards in heaven. Isn't that great? God lets you start fresh today. I think I've I got a bunch of worthless stuff. Okay, stop it. How's that? Right? Do things with the right motive. Do things in faith. Love Jesus with all your heart is kind of the, the push here. So some are going to suffer loss. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15. If anyone's work which he is built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. You know what that means? You can be at the judgment seat of Christ as a believer, but all you really got was fire insurance. You got into heaven, but there's no rewards. There's nothing there for you. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound real appealing to me because whatever purpose God has for this, he has for it for my good and his glory. So let me take you through. This is kind of an interesting thing when we think about summer receive rewards. John Phillips um, said this: God gives unmerited favor, but He never gives unmerited rewards. So you didn't have to. You didn't have to do anything to deserve salvation. All right, that's unmerited favor, but rewards are always merited. That's why Jesus said, let men see your good works so they glorify your your Father in heaven. Why? Because we want to lay up those treasures in heaven. The first one that we're going to look at, and there's five crowns, and we could spend weeks just studying about rewards in heaven, but let me just take you through a few of these uh, quickly. The first one's called the incorruptible crown. And this is for those who have faithfully finished the race. It's what scripture says. I've run the race. I've finished the course. I've done what God called me to do. Do you know there are a lot of Christians who just start out great and then they fizzle out? They let the world, the cares of the world, take, take control of their life and they get off track. Uh, they're not going to receive the incorruptible crown. It's for those who live a life of self-control and it, of course it begs the question, am I living a life of self-control? What do I need to do to bring my life into more control? Second crown is the crown of glory. Crown of glory, it's for those who have shared the ministry of shepherding God's people. So typically, like someone like a pastor would, could receive this crown of glory if, if, if that pastor had been faithful in shepherding his people. But it also extends to people within the congregation who are acting out as a shepherding role and they're caring for people like a shepherd would care for a flock. Then there's the crown of righteousness, and this is for those who love his appearing, and that is you can't wait for Christ to come back, and so you're diligent doing everything you can to get people close to God and ready for his return. It's not the idea like, I just want to get out of this life. That's not the idea. No, I love the appearing of God. I can't wait for that. I look forward to that, and, and I'm not so in love with the world that I want to hold on to my stuff, I really love Jesus, and I can't wait for his to come back. And, uh, and, and the urgency about his return. Are you ready for his return? Are you excited about his return? Are you living for his return? Do you know that every time you tell somebody about Jesus, you're, you're exemplifying this idea? You need to be saved because you don't know how much time you have. Love God while you have an opportunity. Then there's the crown of rejoicing. And that's for those who lead people to Christ. It's also for those who have any part in bringing someone to Christ. You know, the Bible says that some sow and some reap, but God gives the increase. You know, some of you maybe have never led someone to Christ, but you've sown a lot of seed. You've just kind of like, you're sowing, and maybe some of you watered. You came along and you watered that seed. And then some of you were there when the harvest came in. You know, I've been blessed to be there a lot of times when the harvest was coming in because somebody faithfully sowed seed, watered seed, and then the harvest came in. Kind of exciting, right? He says, don't feel like you've missed out if you haven't led someone to Christ recently or ever. Are you sowing seed? Are you watering seed? And maybe the harvest will come in in your time, in your life, but maybe it won't. Maybe it'll come somebody else. Just be faithful with what God gives you, amen? That's what God wants, just faithful people. Then there's the crown of life. This is for those who endure trials. Trials for the faith. This doesn't mean just a rough life. You know, sometimes our rough life is because of bad choices, amen? Right, it's not because, you know, like, yeah, I was persecuted. No, you were just dumb. (laughs) Right, all right? Dumb doesn't get a reward, all right? Uh, It's for those who are also martyred for their faith. We refer to Revelation 6, Revelation 20, both talk about the martyrs for their faith. And it says they receive a reward. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Faithful unto death. You know, faithful unto death starts every day when you make a decision to live for God. I'm gonna be faithful today. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning. I'm gonna be faithful today. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow. I'm gonna be faithful today. Because I know that there's, I know the promises of God in this book tell me that there's a reward coming, there's a blessing that comes, there's a favor that comes just by faithfully loving God every single day of my life. And you do that when you read your word of God, you do that when you pray, you do that when you sacrificially give. All those things are part of what it means to love God and to serve God. And that's the call on God on our life. That's the call of God on your life. It's not... It's not just for some, it's for all. And as we looked at that passage in Thessalonians, he draws this distinction, this separation between us and them. He says, if you're one of them, if you know God, then live your life for him. Follow after him. There's, it, it's great reward comes by following after God. Amen? Amen? I want to just ask you right now to bow your heads where you sit, where you stand. And I want to ask you to just make a recommitment of your faith to Jesus. Somewhere in this message, I'm sure that either a scripture, the words I spoke, or the Holy Spirit kind of nudged you a little bit. You might have just been something as simple, this is how he gets me, you can do better, Phil. Or you remember when you were really fired up for God? Remember when you told the gospel story to other people on a regular basis? And it's the Holy Spirit not condemning you, He's loving you and drawing you in, into His arms of recommitment, into His arms of greater love and greater depth. So a prayer of recommitment would go something like this Dear Lord Jesus, and you can pray this right where you are. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to recommit my life to You. I want to start fresh today, loving, serving, You, with all my heart and all my soul. I give you my life. I give you my stuff. I give you everything I have, God. And not out of fear, because I don't believe you want to just take everything from me, but you want to resurrect everything in a way that makes it better. And if that was your prayer and you made that commitment, just thank him for hearing your words And determine today, you're going to be that person. If you're uncertain about your eternal destiny, you don't know if you really know the Lord, then I would encourage you to pray a prayer like this one. And it's a prayer of faith that says, I want to enter into this relationship with God. I don't want to be one of them. I want to be one of us. I want to follow Christ start with an affirmation of his death, burial, and resurrection. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you were buried. I believe you rose from the dead, Jesus, to take away my sins. And it took your death to bring my forgiveness. Forgive me of my sins, Lord Jesus. I believe on you. Make me a new creation. Give me your Holy Spirit. Empower me. Let me have that hope of eternity in my heart, in my soul, all the days of my life. And then thank Him, if that was your prayer, thank Him for saving you. Would you just thank Him? Just thank Him.